Stop What You're Doing is episode number 68 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast, and today we're getting into something not often talked about, children and addiction and divorce. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoy. All right, welcome to this episode, episode number 68 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lavoy, aka the Divorce Resource Guy. And today we're talking about adolescent substance abuse, substance abuse and divorce. Now, that's something that could often be overlooked when we're talking about divorce because oftentimes we're focused on the people getting divorced, the parents. But when you're dealing with teenagers and adolescents, Divorce can have a dramatic effect uh, on what's going on, um, and if it's not addressed, can have some serious ramifications. So that's why I'm proud to bring you Richard Capriola. He has been a mental health and substance abuse counselor for over two decades. He's worked as an addictions counselor at Menninger Clinic in Houston, where for over a decade he treated both adults and adolescents diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse. He is also the author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. And I am proud to talk with Richard today. Uh, so let's get right to it. Welcome, Richard Capriola. Richard, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you today. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk to me about this issue uh, that, that confronts so many families and so many parents, the issue being adolescent substance abuse. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's, a, it's an issue that uh, is of utmost importance, but not often spoken about at least not on my podcast you know because we're talking about divorce and we're going through a lot of you know different aspects of what it means to go through a divorce but dealing with children which is a big one um the issue of addiction and child addiction as perhaps a a, a you know a, i don't know what the right word would be but not an aside but almost like a a tangent issue to the divorce uh isn't really talked about. And I don't think I've covered that yet on my podcast. So I'm very excited to have you on today. Um, now, for people who aren't familiar with you, give give everybody a little bit of uh, background information about, you know, not only who you are, but like, you know, how did you get to this point? How did you how did you end up writing this book, The Addicted Child? Well, I've, I've been in the uh, mental health and substance abuse uh, treatment field for over two decades. And I started out as a uh, counselor in a mental health uh, regional crisis center. And I noticed that a lot of people who were coming in for uh, mental health treatment to our crisis center also had a substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois and uh, obtained a master's degree in addictions counseling, uh, and then went on to accept a position as an addictions counselor for Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger Clinic is a rather large psychiatric hospital uh, serving both adolescents and adults. And I was hired to be an addictions counselor for both adolescents and adults. And, and during my tenure, uh, which ran over, over a decade at Menninger, I met an awful lot of parents whose children had been diagnosed with a substance abuse disorder, as well as a mental health disorder. And when I would sit across from them and explain to them their, their child's history of using a substance, um, they would often look at me and they would say something like, I had no idea this was going on. 
Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, well, I knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So after I left Menninger, I wanted to write a resource that would be available for parents that would be a non-technical, uh, reader-friendly, uh, rather quick read that would give them the basics on adolescent substance abuse. You know, uh, what substances are out there, um, how substances work in the teen brain, and 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 what warning signs should every parent know about? Um, because many times parents would 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 tell me that they felt really bad because they'd missed the warning signs. Well, they missed the warning signs because nobody took the time to help them learn what those warning signs are. And then I put a section in the book on assessments so the parents would know if they suspect their child is using a substance, what type of assessments and tests should they should they get for a diagnosis. And then there's sections on resources for parents, uh, what 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 a good treatment program looks like, and what are the treatment options that are available for parents. And I packed all of this into a book that runs just about 100 pages. So it's a very easy read. And it's uh, and it's a good resource for every parent to have on their bookshelf. That, that's great. And we're going to at the end of the show, we're going to tell everybody where they can find the book. Absolutely. So let me start off by asking you, when we're talking about adolescent addiction, wh- when does that start? At what age? I mean, I guess adolescence starts, what, is it 12, 13? Is there an age where this really starts to manifest itself as, uh, as an issue? I would say uh, primarily the teenage years, the teenage, uh, the teens, starting at 13, 14, and going all the way up uh, into the late teen years. Uh, There is some exposure to what are called inhalants. Um, Those are common household products that kids can inhale. We tend to see that at very young ages, even preteen can get into into those substances. But I would say the overwhelming uh, majority of adolescents who are who are exposed and using uh, substances like marijuana um, uh, tend to be using that uh, during the teenage years, you know, beginning at around age 13 or 14. Okay. And when you say inhalants, just in case people aren't familiar with what an inhalant is, what is what would be considered an inhalant? A good example would be nail polish or glue or paint thinner. It's basically uh, an odor that comes from a substance. Many of them are uh, common household cleaning products that we have around the house. Uh, But the fumes from those can can give a very intoxicating, a very rapid intoxicating effect to the child. And because we tend to see this at the very young ages when the brain is far less developed than in the later teenage years, the potential can be much more more damaging. Right. If we did it now, nobody cares about our brain anymore. Right? No, our brain, <laughs> our brain's fully developed. We're okay. <laughs> Although that's why they always say if you're painting and stuff, you know, open the windows and uh, yeah. it's because of the toxic fumes. Exactly. Um, exactly. Right. Now, so other than inhalants, what, what are, you mentioned marijuana. Um, and that's an interesting one now because with all the legalization going on everywhere, you know, I guess a lot of people may ask, well, how dangerous is it? So let's just start with that then. You know, marijuana, I've read, and I'm definitely not an expert at all, um, but I've, I've read, I've heard on the news, they say, oh, it's not addictive. Um, what's your opinion on that? Like how, where does marijuana fall in, in the uh, in the overall scheme of, of, you know, 
adolescence addiction? Well, it is one of the most popular substances that attracts adolescents. Adolescents are still gravitating towards alcohol and marijuana. By far, those are the two primary substances that adolescents latch onto. There, there is some exposure, less than 5% of seniors with drugs like uh, uh, Ritalin and Adderall, cocaine and LSD, but those are, those are less than 5% of, say, seniors. The majority of, of, of kids are using alcohol and marijuana. Um, and, and, and what we've seen recently is a surge, uh, a surge, a dramatic increase in the number of kids who are turning to vaping substances like alcohol, like uh, marijuana and nicotine. There's been a tremendous increase in seniors, for example, who are using through the vaping process marijuana. For example, three years ago, 9% of seniors said that they vaped marijuana. Today, it's 22%. Three years ago, 18% of seniors told us they were vaping nicotine. Today, it's 34%. So there's been a tremendous surge in vaping among, uh, among adolescents, particularly high school students, as they turn to vaping as the method to take in substances like nicotine and marijuana. Now, I've worked with a large number of teenagers who were smoking marijuana, sometimes multiple times a day. And uh, their IQs were all above average to superior. These were very bright young men and women, but they were smoking marijuana multiple times a day. And when the psychological tests would come back for these young men and women, what I noticed was that the processing speed of their brain was below average, their short-term memory was impaired, and their motivation was impaired. Now, was all of this due to marijuana? Probably not. But was marijuana contributing to it? Yes, probably so. So the thing to recognize is that the teenage brain is in the process of maturing and developing. So when we start to introduce substances like marijuana or other illicit drugs into their system, into their brain, we run the risk of doing some damage to that brain. It may not be uh, evident immediately, but uh, there are some, uh, some risk of some pretty serious changes that can happen. And, and when you speak of nicotine and vaping, and the vaping phenomenon uh, is, is right. I feel like it's blown up over the last few years. You see it all over the place, uh, these big puffs of smoke coming out of cars. <laughs> and you're like, that's no cigarette, uh, right? No. <laughs> that's, <laughs> and, that's, and, that's vaping. <laughs> that's vaping. And, and, you know, they say, I guess the original idea of vaping was to, to break your nicotine habit from smoking as an alternative and, and healthier way than actually smoking cigarettes, right? Do, do I understand that correctly? I mean, if you know. Well, I think the alternative uh, to, to, to smoking uh, cigarettes is vaping because when we, when we find people who are smoking cigarettes, they're smoking tobacco. Right. Tobacco has nicotine, but it has hundreds of other uh, substances in it as well. So you may very well uh, find a, uh, an adolescent who will tell you, look, it's, 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 
safer for me uh, to, to, to vape nicotine than to smoke a cigarette. And to a certain extent, they're right, because you smoke a cigarette, you're getting nicotine and a whole bunch of other substances that are loaded into in with the tobacco. When you're vaping nicotine, you're just getting nicotine. But the problem with that is you're getting higher concentrations of nicotine through vaping, which makes it potentially uh, more addictive, uh, more quickly, and, 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 and also, you know, you could potentially be doing damage to your respiratory system if you were to do it over a long period of time. But you're definitely getting higher concentrations of nicotine through vaping. Right. And, and it's my understanding that you're only supposed to vape like once a day or, or, or very limited. I mean, these I see people vaping like nonstop, it seems, right? You know. Uh- yeah, because they're addicted to nicotine. Right. Um, you know, they may have been smoking a pack or more of cigarettes a day, and now they think that by 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 vaping nicotine, it's it's healthier for them. But but they're just addicted to nicotine, and they're still inhaling nicotine as a vapor into their lungs. Right. So where do um and you were kind of you know naming giving us some percentages um, alcohol marijuana is the biggest players, but. I've heard over the last, you know, I, I feel like it's been years now, but it seems like it's been recent, you know, the phenomenon of, you know, prescription abuse, prescription pills and, and stuff that kids find in, in the medicine cabinet. Um, where does that rank in, in, in this whole conversation? Well, when we're looking at substances like prescribed drugs, let's take Ritalin, for example. Ritalin is often prescribed for kids, as is Adderall, uh, for, for, for children who have been diagnosed with attention deficit problems. Um, roughly about 2% of seniors or 4% of, uh, 2% of seniors are using Ritalin and almost 5% are using Adderall. They are uh, very effective drugs when they are prescribed and used under medical supervision. or under the supervision of a professional. Uh, The problem is that they also can be abused. And and some kids have been known to sell their prescription drugs or to buy prescription drugs from from other kids. Um, So my recommendation to parents is if you have any substances in your house, uh, whether they're prescribed or over the counter, or you have any alcohol in your house and you have teenagers, you need to keep those uh, secure from your child because um, they they will have access to them. And if they have access to them, uh, there is the potential that they could begin to abuse them or they could take them out and sell them to other kids. Right. And and what about like opioids, you know, painkillers, stuff that their parents might have taken uh, to recover from a surgery or something like that, but they still have in the house. Is that that a problem that you found uh, as part of the addiction? It's not a big problem among adolescents, but again, um, if it's in the house and if kids have access to it, there is always the danger that they may try to experiment with it, or they may know somebody who's using it, another kid perhaps, uh, and they may use it uh, either to experiment with themselves to see what kind of a feeling they can get, or they may use it to, to sell to other people. Right. Okay. So, so let's talk about warning signs. Um, because that's so huge. You know, I'm a parent. I have, I'm the uh, proud dad of a six-year-old little girl. Um, so I have some time ahead of me, but it goes by quick. Um, so I want to know too, like, what are some warning signs parents should look for uh, to, to determine if perhaps, you know, there's a problem? 
in my book, I have warning signs for alcohol. I have warning signs for uh, marijuana. I have or, uh, warning signs for eating disorders and for self-injury because eating disorders and self-injury can sometimes accompany a child's use of alcohol or drugs. I've, I've worked with a number of teenage uh, uh, girls uh, who not only were smoking marijuana, but they were also um, you know, developing an eating disorder or they were cutting on themselves. So I have warning signs in there for those uh, so their parents are just aware of them. Uh, but as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone else. Right. Um, so pay attention to those changes that you see. Don't assume that the changes that you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out. They may very well be, but they also may be a signal that there's something else going underneath the surface. So for example, you may have a child who was earning very good grades and now the grades are starting to decline. You may have a child who used to enjoy participating in sports, no longer wants to participate in sports. You may have a friend or you may have a child who was very social and outgoing, now becomes very isolating. Um, you may have a child who uh, used to introduce you to their friends. You knew who their friends were. You even knew who their parents of their friends were, now becomes very secretive of who their friends are. Those are just some examples of changes that if you see them in your child, they may be a signal that there's something else going on. And the more of these changes you see, the more likely that there may be something underneath the surface that's going on. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be being bullied, it might be any of the psychological issues that we see that sometimes accompany a child's use of alcohol or drugs. Many of the kids that I worked with who were smoking marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking marijuana, the number one answer that came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. So pay attention to the changes you see in their child. That's great. That's great information, uh, Richard. Thank you so much for sharing, sharing that. Do you have any, do you cover anything in your book about, let's say you see some warning signs? Uh, how do you What's the best strategy to first approach your child to open up discussion about it? Um, I noticed that in my in my seven almost seven year old now. She, you know she, um, she, Daddy, I have a secret. I'm not going to tell you. No, no, tell me. I, no, let's talk. I want you to be able to talk to me about anything. It's already starting. <laughs> so how do you get how, how do you get a, a teenager to kind of feel free to even open up about you know that type of stuff? That's a great question, um, because if you see these warning signs, um, there's two things that you need to do. First of all, have a discussion with your child about that. And second, get the assessments done. Um, and I have a whole chapter in my book that outlines the, the assessments that you should get done to get a diagnosis. But certainly the first thing to do is have a discussion with your child. And whether your child is six or seven or eight years old or 16 or 17 or 18 years old, we all as parents can develop good communication skills with our children. And by that, I mean, we're usually very good at listening to the words that we hear. So when we're talking to each other or we're talking to our children, we're very good as parents about hearing their words. We're not so good sometimes at, at hearing and listening to the feelings that are behind those words. And that's a skill that every parent can learn. 
Um, I have some exercises in my uh, parent handbook that sort of point in this direction. But basically, it's a skill that allows us to listen to our children and hear the feelings that are behind those words and then sort of pick up on those feelings and follow through on those feelings so that a child begins to, to, to understand that, hey, mom, hey, dad, they really understand what I'm feeling. So when I'm talking to them about an issue or I'm talking to them about a problem, they're not just hearing my words, they're hearing my feelings and they really understand where I'm coming from. That's an investment as a parent that if you make that investment and you take that time to learn that skill is going to pay off dividends, not only while your child is in the preteen and teenage years, but as they go on in life as an adult. That, that's really great stuff. Um, and I think so important. Um, right. You just don't want to hear them. You want to listen to them. Yes, um, exactly. So, but give me, give me, you mentioned, you know, a couple of exercises. Can you give us an example of one right now uh, that everybody can kind of at least get them, get them teased. And, and so when they read your book, they, they want to get all of them. <laughs> Well, let's just say, um, you know, that, that your child is angry, okay, and they're talking to you about an issue and, 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 and they're very angry about something and they tell you that, uh, you know, maybe they were angry at something that another kid said or something the teacher said in classroom and they're really angry about it. You know, I think the first thing you do is acknowledge that anger. So you could say something, well, you know, you know I, I understand that you're feeling angry. Can you tell me more? about this. So the, the first the first thing to do is to recognize the feeling. Uh, you know, I, I understand that you're feeling angry or it seems to me that you're, that you're very angry about this. And then you move to, well, can you share with me more about why this feeling is the way it is? And hopefully that'll open up the door and, and they'll tell you not only that they're angry, which you obviously can probably already pick up on, but what you want to get at is why are you angry? And how do you feel about this anger? And, 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 and it's a difficult skill to learn. It will take practice. But as the more we practice as parents, the better we get at it. The bottom line is we just want to have a good communication system set up with our child so that uh, we're, we're getting to the underlying issues of what they're talking about. Yeah, no, that's, that's, again, great stuff. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I think this is how I feel about it. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong and tell me what you think. But it sounds to me, and as a as a parent, you know, we're all busy, right? Everybody's busy all the time, and you you have a tendency. I think it's a human nature to uh, sometimes, when somebody, a child, is trying to communicate something to you, you can almost be dismissive of it. It's like, oh, don't worry about it; it's not a big deal, or you know, you don't really think it's anything worthy of of much more discussion. But that may not be the case, right? And and if you just take the time again, really listen. Um, and and ask questions and, and show interest, then that that will help open up the lines of communication. Absolutely, what you what you want to communicate is your curiosity. Yeah, you know that 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 you're interested in not only what they're saying but how they're feeling, and you're curious and you want to explore it more with them. You 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 don't necessarily want to tell them anything about it. You're just curious. You want to know more about it from their perspective, and 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 that communicates that you really do care and that you value their opinions and their feelings, and that you want to know more about them. Exactly. Without being judgmental or, uh, 
you know, quick to write, you know. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the word judgmental because my book uh, talks about a survey that was done with teenagers in which they were asked the question, what is it that keeps you from talking to your parents about things that you're concerned about? And the, and the number one response that came back was a fear of being judged. Adolescents have a fear of being judged by their parents, and sometimes that will keep them uh, away from from sharing things. They they don't want to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged, right? But particularly, adolescents seem to be, be very sensitive to, uh, especially their parents making judgments about them. Right, and that's interesting. And I wonder if that just really kind of stems from, you know, children. I think inherently want to want their parents to look at them favorably and, and feel like, you know, they're doing a good job in their parents' eyes and they don't want to disappoint. And so, right. They don't want to be judged uh, in a negative way. So I'm wondering if that's kind of where that from a psych psychology standpoint, where that all kind of comes from. I think it does. I think, I think kids want our approval. They want to look favorable in our eyes. And if they believe that there is something that they might have done or something they might have said that's going to cause us to uh, lose that favorability, they're less likely to tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is all really great stuff. And like I told you right before we started the, the podcast today, time flies when you're having fun. Um, <laughs> it sure does. And, and, and we're out of time for today. But before we go, I want, I want people to know where they can find you, where they can learn more, uh, and most importantly, where they can read your book. Well, the book is available on Amazon. The title of the book is The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Uh, it's available in, uh, in a Kindle version for people who like to read on the Kindle. And I've priced it at 99 cents because I want it to be readily available for every parent. That's great. There, there is a paperback version for people uh, who, who prefer to have a paperback as a resource to underline, highlight, whatever, write notes. Uh, that's available and that's reasonably priced as well. Um, and you can go to Amazon and, and look for it there. Or you can go to the book's website, which is helptheaddictedchild.com. And on the website, you can read endorsements. You can read book reviews. There's a, a link that will take you directly to Amazon where you can buy the Kindle or the paper back. Um, and uh, there's also a link where uh, if, if they want to contact me, they can send me a message. So the website is helptheaddictedchild.com. And I would also say that anybody who's listening to our discussion today, if there are issues that we haven't discussed, or that if there are questions that you would perhaps wish you would have had an answer to, if you would just send those in. Um, and if, um, if uh, you know, Jason is willing to have me back, I'd be more than happy to come back and Jason and I can address those issues and questions that perhaps we didn't have time to do today. Yeah, we could do a whole Q&A episode. That would be that would be great. Yeah, sure. So definitely take take him up on that offer, everybody. Send me in some questions and we'll do another show just answering questions all about this issue. And it's so important. And I have to say, as a parent, um, I think it's a, a must read for every parent out there uh, who has young children uh, and or adolescent children, definitely. And, and, you know, you just want to be as best prepared as possible because it's not easy. It's, uh, it's already not easy being a parent. I can tell you that. Um, and it doesn't get easier. So Richard, thank you so much for being on the show. 
Uh, it was a pleasure to have you and hopefully we will see you again soon. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for taking the time and for participating in the discussion with me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Divorce Resource Guide podcast and learned something about adolescent substance abuse and divorce. And obviously, it's a very serious topic and should not be taken lightly. So if you see any clues that may be uh, significant in your situation, you want to get them addressed as soon as possible. Now, again, if you're looking for help with your divorce and would like some coaching with me, Check out my website, jasonlavoy.com. Email me, jason at jasonlavoy.com. I do one-on-one and group divorce coaching. So something for whatever your needs are. Reach out if you have any questions and stay tuned for the next episode. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.